Sometimes I'm not patient. That's what we want to talk about today. You know, we live in an instant world. Around the world, there is this universal lust for now. We can put food in a microwave and have a full meal in under five minutes with little to no effort. When in trouble, we want to zap the problem and expect that it will be fixed in 60 seconds or less. If your iPhone or your computer takes more than five seconds to download a site, people get impatient and complain about how pathetic their phone is, or they just go to another site instead. We lack patience. We lack patience in just about every aspect of life in the fast-moving world of today. We expect instant progress. We're always acting on impulse making decisions for the now without regard for the later. We want to be in the moment and don't take the time to think through how this decision in the moment is going to be making something different in the future and how this decision in the moment, in the now, will affect us a month later, a year later, for the rest of our lives. So we live in a world that runs by the mantra, if it feels good, do it. Or, it's my life, I can do whatever I want. Or, why should I wait when I can have it now? That's especially true if you own a credit card. We live in a world where we feel entitled to have whatever we want to have and have it right now. We think we actually deserve whatever we want. And we believe that we should never be forced to wait or to plan or to prepare or to put something off for the future. We have had some help getting to this point of living with an entitled ego. It isn't totally the fault of those who live with this mindset, either you or me. There's been a great deal of strategic marketing, improved technology, selfish living by the majority of society, We have been trained well, and most of us grew up with commercials and advertisements that said, you deserve the best. Or as Burger King says, you can have it your way. Live the way you want to live. In the midst of all of this, the virtue that we as believers know as patience has all but disappeared. In the last couple of weeks, I have watched a grown man throwing a tirade because his fast food burger took three minutes to make. I have watched a mum coming unglued because the high school student at the cash register was slowing her down in her quest to fulfill all of her messages. A young couple becomes furious because they're denied the loan to buy their dream house, which was way over their budget and over their ability to pay back. And now they have to do something they've never done before. Be patient and wait and save their money for a down payment they can't afford. Our world, our society, has trained us that if it's worth having, it is worth having now. If you are going to do it, you should never be forced to wait. Our entitled ego tells us we should get what we want when we want it. And patience, therefore, seems to be a thing of the long-forgotten past. Now, I believe that this problem has become progressively worse, but it's not a new problem in the least. 
The Bible is loaded with stories of people who fail to realize the consequences of a serious lack of patience, fail to realize the consequences of their short-term decisions on the rest of their life. In the very first story in God's Word, Eve craves the forbidden fruit. And when you think about it, Eve had it all, everything any woman could ever desire. An intimate relationship with the God of the universe, a husband who adored her, paradise as her home. She also doesn't have some of the things that make us crazy. Eve didn't have another woman in the world to compare herself to. She never has to wonder, do you think she's purer than me? She never has to fear that someone else is a better mum, a better cook, a better employee, has a better looking body. Eve can't compare kitchens or closets or husbands. Eve never has to sink into the trap of comparison envy. The first woman who has ever lived has everything, really everything, except the fruit of the one tree that God says is off limits. And even though this woman has it all, the serpent still manages to tempt her by asking, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's found in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. In our world, the question might be, did God really say you need to wait until marriage until you to get to have sex? Did God really say that you should love your enemies when you'd rather kill them? Did God really say that you should stay married when you'd prefer to be married to someone else and divorce your current wife? Even though Eve has everything but a piece of fruit, the one thing she's denied becomes the all-consuming, gotta-have-it thing. You know, all of us have reached out to grab some forbidden fruit, something we absolutely must have or must do without patiently thinking through the consequences, and then we ended up paying a price for our impatience. Eve is not the only one. Moses did it when he was angry and killed a man. David did it when he was lonely and committed adultery. Judas did it when he became greedy and betrayed Jesus. And we do it when we lose our temper have sex before marriage, buy something we can't afford, stuff our faces until we're fat. A lack of patience leading to a decision and then an action that has consequences that we then end up paying dearly for, sometimes for the rest of our lives. We see this common problem described clearly in the Bible in 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. People commonly trade the long-term greater blessings that come later if we are patient. And they trade those long-term greater blessings for a quick fix 
of lower things that they can have right now, earthly things. If you know anyone who grew up during the Great Depression, perhaps a parent or a grandparent, then you know that their worldview differs radically from that of the generations following them. Because they grew up lacking what we take for granted, they conserved, they saved, they planned, they were patient. But those generations coming after the most patient and resourceful generation have allowed the pendulum to swing to the other side. Most of my generation, the boomers, borrowed, charged, and leveraged their way to a better lifestyle. No patience, no planning, no saving, no going without. However, now in their 70s, like I am, they're now waking up and their material dream is turning into a financial nightmare. After decades of living for the moment, most are not financially prepared for the later years in their lives. Unfortunately, the challenge does go way beyond finances. During their childhood, divorce was rare, but as they aged, their more self-centered lifestyle led to more self-centered decisions, leaving in their wake damaged and destroyed relationships. The next generation, my own children, for the most part, followed suit. Where divorce was not common amongst the boomers, divorce is very common and accepted amongst the generation of my children. And now those following them, the young people of today, my grandchildren, have perfected short-sighted living to an art form. When I was growing up, my parents taught me, if you play now, you pay later. And unfortunately, there is so much playing now that the payment grows greater even as it approaches at the speed of a bullet. Here's the problem. People lack patience. It has become normal for people to want what they want and to want it now, not later. I mean, why wait? Why be patient? And credit cards, credit ratings, loans, mortgages enable this to happen so easily. This is exact same attitude of the younger brother in Jesus' story of the prodigal son. And Jesus explains the story that this man, this father, has two sons. But the younger of the two didn't want to wait until the appointed time to receive his inheritance. So, as Jesus said in Luke fifteen twelve, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. Like many today, he didn't want to wait. He lacked patience and wisdom. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it now. You see the same thing all around you today and perhaps even recognize it in yourself. That new pair of jeans you really didn't need. After all, they're off 10% off regular price. The bowl of ice cream that breaks your diet because you were disappointed that a special with the Prime Minister of Canada preempted your favorite show. Another new book that just came out and you bought it in spite of the fact that you have stacks of books that you've bought and have yet to read. The new car, the new truck, well, just because. Wanting something that will make you feel better now is something we usually feel we can justify. 
And yet the Bible states that there is a way that seems right to a person, but it ends and it leads to death. So the truth that I want you to grab in this short teaching is in pursuit of immediate pleasure, people trade the ultimate for the expendable. In pursuit of immediate pleasure, people trade the ultimate for the expendable. I heard Pastor and author Andy Stanley describe this phenomena in the biblical story of Jacob and Esau. If you aren't familiar with the story, Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Esau was the oldest, born minutes before the younger brother, Jacob. I have been told that the younger brothers are often jealous of their older siblings, which was certainly the case in this story. Esau was a man's man. Jacob was more of a mama's boy. And during this time in history, the firstborn son had extreme advantages. He had what was known as the birthright, which meant that upon his father's death, the firstborn would receive twice the inheritance of any of his siblings. And he also became the judge or executor of the father's estate. Throughout his life, the older brother lived with advantages and favor simply because he was firstborn. And you can imagine how this would get under the skin of the secondborn, the younger brother. Well, these two guys, the scene went like this. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, his younger brother, I'm starved. Give me some of the red stew. This is how Esau got his name Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? The conflict seems very basic, doesn't it? A temporary physical appetite battling for an eternal family blessing. Esau, the older brother, has been out hunting and works up a huge appetite. Perhaps his journey home took longer than he had expected, and his stomach is long past growling. He's not just hungry, he's hungry. And when he sees Jacob cooking some stew, Esau demands some lunch. And suddenly the younger brother has the advantage, perhaps for the first time ever. I can imagine Jacob sensing he has the upper hand, thinking, I got you now. All those years that you picked on me, all those times you didn't let me play with your friends, all those times you outshined me, now you're going to get yours. Esau said something that's funny to me. He whined and he said, look, I'm going to die if I don't get something to eat. Just in case you're tempted to believe him, let's tell it like it is. He's being a big baby, a drama king, an entitled brat. He wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. He's looking for a temporary physical thing and willing to give up an eternal blessing, his birthright. Esau wasn't about to die. He was just hungry and was used to having food the moment he wanted something to eat. Jacob corners his brother and strikes a deal. You want some of this delicious beef stew with your favorite carrots and tomatoes? Good, then it's going to cost you. If you give me your birthright, I'll give you some stew. And that's when Esau makes the worst trade in his life. Esau trades the ultimate 
his birthright for the immediate, a bowl of stew, because he lacked patience. Think about it. He could have cooked his own meal. Think about it. He meets his brother. Could mom and dad be that far away? And mom and dad would have fed him. In the end, he was not able to put a price on what he pays for a simple meal because he was not patient. He wants what he wanted when he wanted it. You might ask, who in the world would do something as stupid as trade his birthright for a bowl of stew? If you think about it, you already know the answer. We do it every day, every single day. Generation after generation of intelligent adults make similar decisions to Esau's life-altering bargain with his brother Jacob. We allow our out-of-control fleshly desires to overwhelm our better senses, our common sense. We allow our flesh to determine our future instead of allowing God's will and the leading of the Spirit to determine our future. Remember the verse we looked at from 1 John. The world offers to fulfill all of our cravings, all the things we really want deep down inside. I'm hungry and I want it. I'm lonely, so I need that person. I know I'm not married to them, but I need that person. I'm empty, so maybe I can buy this thing and it will satisfy me. The world offers substitutes for, counterfeits of the real thing, giving you physical pleasure, material things, and pride in what we have and what we do. But before long, our sinful desires for the counterfeits of this world lure us into short-term decisions with long-term consequences. Let me say that again. Our sinful desires for the counterfeits of this world, for the substitutes that the world offers, lure us into short-term decisions that have long-term consequences. We trade the ultimate, God's best, God's blessing, God's perfect will for our life, for the immediate, whatever selfish desire we have at the moment. We've given away our birthright for a stupid bowl of stew. If trading your birthright for a bowl of stew seems far-fetched, then let me share another example. In 1894, the United States Mint in San Francisco produced only 24 different coins. That's relatively few for its time, but certainly staggering when we consider the millions of coins produced in the U.S. Mint today. The superintendent of the San Francisco Mint was a man named John Daggett. Knowing the rarest of the few coins produced that year, Daggett acquired several and gave three of the dimes, ten-cent pieces, to his daughter Haley. Hold on to these, my dear, and they'll be worth much more than ten cents someday, he told her. On her way home from her father's office, young Haley did what many kids would do today. She stopped in her favorite soda shop and exchanged what would become one of the world's rarest coins for a scoop of her favorite ice cream. Almost a century later, in 1981, the coin surfaced and sold for $34,100. Today, only 10 1894 S. Barber dimes are known to exist, and they are considered one of the most sought-after coins in the world. Poor Haley's scoop of vanilla ice cream ended up costing her much more than she could imagine. 
we would be wise to embrace the principle of delayed gratification, patience, when it comes to all our finances, not just our dimes. Because of a spirit of entitlement, however, it's common for teenagers and adults who are still in adolescence to believe they really need the latest iPhone, iPod, or iPad. If their iPad doesn't have 4G, they need counseling to overcome their childhood abuse. Some teens actually believe they deserve to drive a brand new car, not some old clunker. Debt-ridden college students, a friend of mine in particular I'm thinking of, in the United States believes he needs a spring break trip to Cancun. It's a necessity, in spite of being debt-ridden. A young couple just out of college feels it's their right to live in a house as nice as their parents' home. You see, we live with a sense of entitlement. It's being bred into us, and it's not biblical, and it flies in the face of patience. And the point of this teaching is that because we are not patient, we trade the ultimate for the immediate. So let me reread the scriptures that we're working on today. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. This world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So how do we move from living like the crowd? How do we overcome the cultural pull towards immediate ego gratification? How do we avoid, get away from, and don't live by we want what we want when we want it now feeling? Well, the Bible says that we should pursue God's will with our hearts until his desires become our desires. Rather than craving what others crave, rather than craving the things of the world, we should crave or yearn for the heart of God and long for what matters to him. Our demanding egos need to submit to the will of God for our lives. Our selfish impatience needs to give way for the perfect will of God and the perfect timing of our God. So the Bible states, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As we seek God, his desires will become our desires. And then he can give us those desires, because they're not only then the desires of our heart, they're the desires of his heart. The word translated as delight in that verse is the word agnat, and it carries with it the idea of being made soft and pliable. So you could say that as we enjoy or delight in God, our hearts become soft and pliable, and he's then able to put his desires into our hearts. That instead of desiring the cravings of our fleshly nature, we learn to crave the kingdom's desires of our God. Now, all of us want to make a difference in the world. And we don't have the immediate impact we desire. We often feel frustrated or discouraged as if we failed at being a Christian. But the truth is that God works in us even when we can't see it, perhaps especially when we can't see it. One of my mentors told me, Ralph, you will very likely overestimate 
what God wants to do through you in the short run. But you will also very likely underestimate what God wants to do through you in the long run. And I think he nailed it. Just seek after God with all of your heart. Just delight in him and leave the results, leave the rest of it up to him. Paul said, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are to opposite of what the sinful nature desires. You'll find that in Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. Let me read it again. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. But the Spirit gives us desires that are to oppose of what the sinful nature desires. As we seek God and God's Spirit guides us, we won't be seeking the bowl of stew or a scoop of ice cream. The Holy Spirit replaces our lower, self-serving, demanding desires with a God's higher, kingdom-serving, selfless desires. Think about all this for a moment. For centuries, God's name has been tagged by the patriarchs who love and served him faithfully. You've probably heard God referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you pause and reflect on the story we looked at earlier, you'll see something that might stop you in your tracks. This was new to me. Esau was the older brother with the birthright. And when Jacob tricked him into giving away his birthright, Esau traded the ultimate for the immediate. If he hadn't made that devastating, destructive, short-sighted, impatient decision, throughout history, you would have heard God referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Esau lost his standing, and then it became the God of Isaac, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You and I will be wiser. I know we will. When you are faced with temptation, look beyond the moment. Remember that patience is better than power. Self-control is more important than conquering a city. You'll choose God's ultimate over the immediate, and you will not trade your birthright for a simple bowl of stew. Said another way, you'll no longer sacrifice your destiny for distorted desires. As you realize how much God has planned for you to do in this world, I pray you will live with a long-term kingdom perspective, that you will make decisions that will honor God and propel you forward over time, that you will sacrifice your own ego-driven agenda in order to experience the perfect will of God in his perfect timing. Instead of demanding what you want now, you will be patient and often infinitely better off because you've been patiently waiting. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Living with patience is better than muscling forward to demand what you want before the time is right. Self-control often unlocks the door to blessings that are longer lasting and more meaningful. Patience comes from knowing you already have enough of what you need the most.